Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Jake, I'm getting an ESPN feed. Are we okay? Yeah, we should be good. All right. Well, thanks, folks. A little technical glitch there as we started the show. I heard my open start, but then I got an ESPN feed. But that's, you know, it's it's kind of appropriate since we're on a sports station. And the only two, uh, the only two stations this show has ever aired on is ESPN and The Fan. Most of the time on The Fan, we get bumped over to ESPN occasionally. In fact, that's going to come up in two or three weeks. We're going to have a couple of shows due to Broncos programming. Well, we'll get bumped over to ESPN, but... Next week, we're celebrating 25 years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors uh, on radio. Uh, our TV show started before that, and uh, I was an outdoor writer. and still do some writing for decades, but the radio show, 25 years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, we're kind of proud of that. We're going to have a great big celebration next Saturday morning at Jack's Outdoor Gear in Loveland, and I will tell you more about that later in the show, but just, it's also posted on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and you should follow us on Facebook. We talk about upcoming events, upcoming guests on the show. We give up-to-date reports a lot of times when we're in the field on our Facebook page. We put podcasts up of a lot of the segments that you hear on the show on 104.3 The Fan and on ESPN. We put the podcasts up there, and we put links whenever we add videos to our um, YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. So follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to cover a lot of fishing today, but we're also going to cover some getting ready for hunting. And it's going to be super hot. It's going to be about 100 degrees here at my studios in Fort Collins. Um, so we're going to talk about that during the day, too. You know, be careful, know your limits, stay hydrated, uh, and just have a good time, but be aware of that. But right now, let's go to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributors, and he's certainly been involved in this show for quite some time and even has uh, come in and been a fill-in host when I used to travel filming, and that's Austin Parr. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. You always bring such great information. You know, I know we're going to talk fishing, but real quick, uh, it, people just during different parts of the show today, we're going to be talking a lot about getting ready for hunting. And it's certainly not too early, is it? Not at all. And I mean, not only for yourself, but also if you're a bird hunter, thinking about getting some good conditioning for your dog, getting good dog uh, water work, uh, cardio conditioning if you're an upland guy. I truly think that's just as important as practicing some of your shooting skills. It really is. And we have a mantra on the show is don't get ready to go hunting, stay ready. Because a lot of the skills and the conditioning and the things you do in hunting are perishable. And even your scouting and knowing the terrain are things you have to keep up on because things change with the climate and the weather. But let's talk some fishing. What's going on out there? Right now, we're dealing with still really good fishing, but fishing that's starting to change. So when we're talking about the the warm water type species, Chatfield, Cherry Creek, and Plains Lakes out east, the, the shad have begun to, to show up. We're seeing them up on the surface, and 
the fish have not fully committed to uh, pulling off of structure and eating those shad just yet, but they are really getting off of that bait bite uh, to a degree. Now, that's still working some. Folks are still catching some fish on some leeches and some crawlers, but in general, changing your techniques, same type of locations, but instead of going with uh, a blade, or excuse me, a, a jig and a crawler, or a jig and a leech, or a lindy rig, or a bottom bouncer, I'm fishing these structure points and up on tops of these humps and drop-offs with blade baits and jigging wraps and jigging spoons, working to imitate those small bait fish, and, and those fish really will start to key in on them, and, and the walleyes and the smallmouth have really begun to spit up a lot of those shad as you bring them up to the surface, so it's time to, to adjust, and pretty soon that trolling bite will really be getting dialed in as well, where the fish pull off of that structure, swim around and eat those bait balls up high in the water column, and really the only way to, to accurately target them is to troll with cranks and planer boards up high in the water. Now, I couldn't agree more this time of the year. I can remember 25, 30 years ago, people used to go to Glendo Reservoir and they would fish in the spring when the water was high. The fish would be back in the trees. Then they'd pull back after after the water pulled back to maybe the first drop-off or so, and you'd get them on uh, rigging and bottom bouncers and jigs. And then all of a sudden the shad would hatch there, and it'd get to be about July, middle of July to the beginning of July. And people used to say, oh, it doesn't make any sense to fish there anymore. The fish don't bite anymore. So we went and proved them wrong. I mean, we did a number of shows and a number of tournaments up there. Well, we were harvesting walleyes over 50, 60 feet of water, pulling crankbaits. But you just have to get that mentality that when those shad hatch and there's so much bait, that you need a reaction bite is what it comes down to, whether it's trolling or, as you said, there's always some fish on structure, but there's so much feed to compete with that blade bait, that jigging wrap, or even maybe a snap jig. Something has to trigger those fish. They're not... It's so easy for them to feed. Just putting a bait down there isn't going to do it hardly at all anymore, is it? I totally agree. And and for anyone that has fly fishing experience, it's the same type of deal where you get into a big monster caddis hatch or a PMD hatch or a green drake hatch where there are just so many insects that the fish struggle to find your lure. And that begins to be a little bit of the, the, the difference there. So uh, people come with that term match the hatch a lot of times. And sometimes that does work in a situation where we're trying to, to get these walleyes to react, but also changing some of your colors where you're getting into the right size, but then going with something bright, like a bright pink or, or chartreuse jigging wrap or a, a pink blade or just changing something up a little bit to where those fish can find your bait also can work. Now, we're not quite timed to where that's 100% critical yet. These fish are still on structure pretty well, but they're just starting to get away from that bug hatch where we're not dealing with the chronomids as much in the, in the water. They're not eating the bloodworms. They're on to bait fish. So it's just time to change your techniques and and readjust to continue to be catching fish for these next few weeks. Now, there will be some exceptions, like Aurora Reservoir doesn't really have shad. We can talk about yep. that in a second. And also, the bass. A lot of bass will follow the shad, and you'll get some out suspended, but a lot of them will still do ambush-type maneuvers from structure as the shad go by. But another group of the bass will feed still on on other minnows and crawfish and some of your other techniques like soft plastics and stuff will still work pretty well for them. 
I totally agree. Getting on the edges of your rock transitions and working a Ned rig or a tube jig right on the bottom still will produce quite well. But then at the same time, early mornings this time of year when the shatter around really can produce explosive topwater heads, especially with the smallmouth on some of these larger reservoirs around here. So working a popper, a spook, or a whopper plopper or a chopo style bait along the really shallow edges are uh, it's another really good technique and it's a great spot if you want to try and catch some of those smallmouth on the fly as well can lay a little deer hair popper out there and really have quite good success and then as that sun begins to come up transitioning to either the shad presentations like working a swim bait or an alabama rig but then or the tube or the the ned rig can be effective as we just mentioned as well you're absolutely right you know and there's a lot of good panfish bites this time of the year, we don't have time to cover them all, but especially if you've got a, uh, a reservoir that has some weed edges or brush near shore, uh, just a bobber and a worm can still work for those. So don't give up on all the bait fishing, folks. But what about a lake like Aurora? What are you seeing different there? So Aurora is kind of interesting. It's a very clear lake. It has been a little bit lower the last couple of years and hasn't developed the really defined weed lines as we've seen in years past. And the reports we have been getting has been the, the bottom bouncer fishing has still been worthwhile. Uh, bottom bouncers and slow death rigs with either a real night crawler or a gulp crawler have been effective. But that clear water, those fish have been sitting a little bit deeper. Whereas at Chatfield and Cherry Creek, a lot of my fish I've been catching have been in under 14 feet of water. A lot of the reports I hear from Aurora lately have been in that 20 to 25 foot of water off the tip of some of those structure points. So changing that a little bit can work well. And that lake still does have a lot of perch in it. So I can do well on that lake with a, a perch jigging wrap or blade bait all the time, really. I would catch fish all throughout the year out there. And with as clear of water as it is, a technique like a jigging wrap can be so effective because it has great drawing power. A nice flashy perch presentation can be seen from a long ways away. So that can work really good. Whereas at Cherry Creek or Chatfield with some of the little bit more off-color water right now, that blade bait sometimes can do a bit better with that good vibration that those fish can pick up with their lateral line. Let's move a little bit to trout, both here on the Front Range and up in the mountains. I haven't been trout fishing on the Front Range recently. I would think some of the rivers that flow in have slowed down, and they're pretty good, like Clear Creek and Bear Creek. But the waters are going to start getting warm in the lakes and even some of the shallow rivers. So the trout fishing may start to taper off, I would think, here up and down the Front Range, especially in lakes, as those fish go deeper. But the mountains should be turning on. What are you hearing? Yeah, I would definitely be thinking the mountains when it comes to trout fishing. If you're catching a trout on the Front Range and some of the lakes, it, a lot of times it requires you to kill them right now. They just have a hard time with the water temperatures. Chatfield's in the, the low 70s at the moment, so that can just be a little tough on them. But getting up into the mountains, this is one of my favorite times of year to get a little bit of a hike in or a drive up to a higher elevation, small stream. Cutthroat lakes this time of year are so amazing. Uh, you can work down the edges and sight fish with a good pair of polarized sunglasses with a small ant, beetle, or hopper, and those fish will be more than happy to come up and eat that hopper. And then some of the streams connecting those small lakes also can prove to be fantastic. They're full of brook trout and, and uh, cutthroats at times as well, and those can be very worthwhile. And then places even like Clear Creek have still been fishing quite, quite well along the Front Range. It's not been an issue with water temp yet up there, uh, getting up just a little bit higher up above the, the Clear Creek Canyon interchange with I-70 is usually one of my favorite places, and that river is just filled with pocket water, tons of little small edges and seams that just do very well with a dry dropper rig, 
a caddis, an elk hair caddis, or a yellow humpy with a bead head dropper like a split case PMD or a copper john are really good choices. And then, um, you know, like I mentioned, we, we still have good options up in those lakes, although that's going to be begin to taper off, as you mentioned there. Uh, a lot of times the places like Spinney and 11 Mile and Lake John do well in the early morning and late evening, but then the, are a little bit more challenging as the, the day progresses, although the bite has still proven to be very well. Up, they're very good in some of those lakes up there, and the tube jigs and gulp minnows up in North Park have been worthwhile, and then doing some trolling with Tasmanian Devils has been producing pretty darn good up at, at the High Plains Lakes in, in South Park. So we still have great options, and, and the lake trout bite definitely is going to be there for the next couple of weeks. Also, the big fish bite has begun to taper just a little bit, but uh, the, the numbers bite has still been very good, getting out in that deeper water in that 45, 50, 60-foot range even, and vertical jigging with some tubes tipped with sucker meat on Gramby has been catching a lot of fish for folks. Well, I'll tell you about, too, in the lakes, uh, Lake John and uh, – Antero and some of these shallower mountain lakes that are so fertile are still producing giant fish, too. Lake John had a 29-inch, 10-pound fish caught trolling this week. And we're going to talk later on in the show in the second hour more about the Delaney's. They are still fishing pretty good. Mosquitoes getting a little bad up there, so you got to be aware of that. But you know some of the other lakes, too, that some of them you can drive to, some of them you have to hike into. But a great example is Joe Wright with those grayling. You know, that lake barely is iced off by the time you get to July. And those graylings should be probably getting close to finishing spawning or the, the cutthroats too up there, whatever. So, so you're probably going to buy the inlet side of the lake and they're going to start to spread throughout the lake, whether you're a fly fisherman with a fly rod or a fly in a bubble or even a small lure presentation because it's uh, artificials only. Joel Wright can take the average angler and give them that phenomenal day out catching a unique fish. I totally agree. The lake up above there, Zimmerman, also has a lot of nice cutthroats if you feel like you want to make a hike. But that is a really nice place to go to hit, and it did not get burned on Cameron Peak. So that whole area, although it got close, uh, Joe Wright was preserved, and that still offers fantastic grayling fishing. Well, and it's just so unique and so much fun. And, uh, you know, it isn't even a problem. To, they're so prolific in that lake to keep a couple for the pan and just have a whole different experience. You can do it from shore. Kayak or a float tube can be great. Um, those are some great opportunities. Let's switch gears one more time before I let you go. What have you been hearing about maybe lakes like Glendo and McConaughey and those places? A lot of bait in those lakes right now. Those fish at Glendo have really begun to transition, as I've mentioned, at Chatfield and Cherry Creek. Same thing's happening. A lot of shad. Folks have been catching good fish trolling. Uh, number five flicker shads and number four hornets have been good behind planer boards. Few fish have been being caught on the jigging wrap and blade bait technique as well. McConaughey down, we're at 56% out there. Uh, I've been hearing still it's been fishing pretty pretty decent. Uh, not near the numbers that you're finding at Glendo, but your offerings of the large fish are definitely there. Folks trolling the dam have been picking up some white bass and wipers as well as the walleyes. But the one bite that's really been standing out has been the catfish bite day and night. Folks have been catching a lot of channel cats out there on a lot of walleye pressure presentations as well if you're slab spooning or fishing jigging wraps definitely expect to catch some of those guys but if you really want to target them at night that bite has been very good and uh, really a good numbers bite with some really high quality catfish all right my friend we're out of time if people want more information where do they find you 
I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle. We're six blocks south of Evans on the west side of Santa Fe. All right. Thanks. A lot of great information, Austin. Have a great rest of the weekend. Stay cool. Thank you. You as well, Terry. All right. Austin Barr. Great. Uh, we're going to take a quick time out. When we come back, one of my favorite authors, Kirk Dieter from Trout, is going to join us, and he's got a new book we're going to talk about right here on Terry Wicksham Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. And remember, we're going to be celebrating 25 years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors Radio at the Jack's in Loveland. Next Saturday, we'll be live there. I'll be there from... I'll be there from 9 to 1. We'll broadcast from 9 to 11. For details, go to my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and we'll talk more about it during the show. But right now, let's go to the phones. And joining us, longtime friend and contributor to this show, he's the, uh, he's the editor of Trout Magazine, uh, Kirk Dieter. Good morning, Kirk. Hi, Terry. How's it going? I brought a friend with me, too. I know. I, why don't you introduce your friend to us? This is my, my good friend, Chris Hunt, who is my co-author in the Little Black Book of Fly Fishing, and uh, he's a longtime outdoor writer as well. Good morning, Chris. Hi, guys. Good morning. How is everybody? We're doing great. You know, Kirk, as we get into it, you did the Little Red Book of Fly Fishing, and now you have the Little Black Book of Fly Fishing. We're going to talk about the new book and how it compares to the old one. But I think it would only be appropriate to start out a little bit, especially since I'm talking about over the next couple of weeks, we're celebrating 25 years of this radio show. Uh, a really good friend to all three of us who's, who was a mentor and a friend and a companion to all of us throughout our careers and our lives uh, that we lost a few years ago, and that's Charlie Meyer. That's right. Charlie was a mentor to all of us, and uh, the story goes that he and I were covering a well, he told me I had to cover it. I was covering it for Field and Stream he for the Denver Post, and he, he didn't ask. He said, Dieter, get in the car. We're going. We're going to the Wyoming Range to cover a story there about protecting that area uh, for the future generations. And just so happens that when we got out of the car, the first guy I met there was Chris Hunt. And Chris was uh, organizing for Trout Unlimited uh, that, that tour, and that's – Really, what was Charlie's? Um, well, his goal, I think, was to introduce me and Chris. And of course, we did the story. We won the day. And then driving home that night through the darkness, um, Charlie and I decided to write a book about fly fishing. And it was just to open up our notebooks and talk about things. And it's not rocket science and just simple little tips that are easy to digest. And that became the little red book of fly fishing. So. Now, 10 years plus later, uh, when it was time to kind of do a sequel, it just only seemed natural that Chris Hunt would be my partner, and so that's how it did. It was a closing of the circle, so to speak. And and I believe the book is actually dedicated to Charlie. Is that right? It is. We When we wrote it, I think Chris and I immediately knew right away who we were going to dedicate the book to and and hopefully it does justice to all the stuff that not only that we did in the little red book but all the mentoring and help and guiding of the careers and all that he's that charlie did for for all of us you know charlie was a great friend and mentor to myself he was actually very instrumental in the beginning of this radio show but our friendship and our 
our relationship went back beyond that, beyond my television days, and even back to when I was writing for several major magazines. Uh, Charlie would feature me in the po- in the Post, and he would uh, give me tips, you know, when he on writing style and things. Great influence in all of our lives, and even better, a great and true friend that you know uh, we'll all remember and cherish the moments we had with him. But let's talk about the book, guys. Kirk. Chris, tell me the difference between the little red book and the little black book and why I need to run out and get it and where I can find it. <laughs> Chris, you want to take that one? <laughs> well, I think, yeah, I think that, you know, first off, I, I couldn't agree more with your sentiments about Charlie. He was a, he was one of the finest human beings I've ever known, and I miss him all the time. Um, and the Red Book, when Kirk and Charlie put it together, was this um, kind of eye-opening collection. And that, like Kirk says, we sort of opened our notebooks of, from years of fishing and and just kind of threw those tips into a conglomeration of, um, you know, ideas that anglers all over the world could could borrow from, read from. It's all, I've, all, I've always kept it on my, on my desk at work, and it's one of the first things I grab when I have some downtime just to kind of, you know, just kind of hone, refresh, hone, remember, things like that. And when Kirk proposed the idea of the black book, he kind of used the ski analogy, which Charlie would also appreciate. Um, you know, that, that was the red book. This is the this is the black diamond version. This is the, the advanced course, if you will. And I'm not sure that it's, you know, incredibly advanced in terms of the tips, but everything in the black book um, kind of borrows from the collective wisdom of the red book. And it is, um, I had so much fun, you know, going back and forth with Kirk on this. Uh, and, and it, you know, we literally were adding tips in, up until the 11th hour when, you know, the publisher finally said, nope, you're done, you got to stop. And, and since then, I got in that mode where I'm always looking for new ideas. So I, you know, I fish with guides occasionally. If I go somewhere new, I'm always learning something new. So Kirk, we may have to plan another one 10 years from now because I've got a whole bunch of new tips. I'm in. I'm in. That sounds good. We'll get you guys, we'll get you guys on the radio on a regular basis and we'll share them. Hey, Kirk, give me a, give me a, an excerpt from the book. That's one of your favorites or a good example. You know, one of the things with the, Black Book, and also to build on what Chris said, was that it's more international in flavor. And one of the, you know, the Red Book opened doors to have me and, uh, you know, Chris is also on his path gone to different places throughout the world. So in New Zealand, I was taught when I'm trout fishing, the first thing I look at is where I'm standing before I even make the cast. If I find a fish and I want to cast at it, I want to sight cast at it. The micro drag that your line feels if you're standing in current can affect the presentation of the fly a lot more. So I've started to stand behind boulders. Little stuff like that um, has made all the difference in the world as I've taken the tips from around the world back here home in Colorado and started thinking about that in a broader context. So that's just one. There's like 200 and what, 201 tips in the book, Chris? 201 tips that'll uh, make you the best best angler possible. <laughs> okay, guys, I tell you what I'm going to, first of all, is the book out right now? Is it available in stores on Amazon? Where can I get the book? Yes, it, it's just come out. So it's, 
just starting to seep in that you might see some fly shops have it, but the easiest place to get it right now is probably Amazon. But as the season goes on, we kind of like to support our friends with the local fly shops and ask that people go there first to look for it. But right now, if you're really, you know, eager to get the book and get your hands on it, Amazon.com, Little Black Book of Fly Fishing. Little Black Book of Fly Fishing. Now, before I let you go, we only got about a minute or two left. I want to get, if you were going fly fishing this weekend, where would you go, Chris, and where would you go, Kirk? Before you ask, Terry, I'm actually driving right now up the south fork of the Snake River in eastern Idaho where I live. And that's uh, that's as good a place as any. It's the best dry fly river in America. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw fits if anybody who disagrees. <laughs> And, Terry, this might be a curveball, but I'm going lake fishing because the damselflies, I'm seeing more damselflies, and it's that window in the summertime where you can catch some of those little blue mini dragonfly-type things, big trout, and pretty soon it's going to be calabatus. So, like, I'm kind of shifting into lake dry fly fishing mode for the next four or five weeks. Any particular lakes that just you just recommend? Well, certainly the ones out in South Park are, are on fire right now. I think that uh, uh, heading up towards, um, well, I'm going to go to Stagecoach today, later, up by Steamboat where I live. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all pretty much going right now. All right, guys, we got to run, but the little black book of fly fishing, um, great talking to you. Uh, you know, we could get on the show and talk for hours about how, Fishing has influenced our lives and what an impact Charlie had to all three of us. And uh, maybe I'll have a Kirk. Well, I'm going to have you at least call in for a few minutes next week during our celebration of 25 years. Maybe we can re- reflect on that a little bit since you used to, you are also a fill in host on the show. But thanks, guys. Great, great segment. Great information. We'll look for the book. Thanks, thanks. Terry. You bet. Thanks. Kirk, Kirk Dieter and Chris Hunt. Two great. Two great uh, just person, people in the fly fishing industry, writers, people that share information. The little red book I read that yeah. was fantastic. Where you don't read it, you kind of look at it and then you move on. The little black book is going to be tremendous, I know. So look for them in your fly shops and online. We're going to take a quick time out. When we come back. Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us, and we're going to talk more front range fishing right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear and 104.3 The Fan. When love has got you down and the world's crashing all around, you can always count on me. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. We will be broadcasting live from the Jack's at 950 Eisenhower in Loveland next week, celebrating 25 years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors radio. Let's go to the phones and joining us. Uh, he's a fill-in host for the show. He's a longtime contributor, an accomplished angler, a guide, Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. 25 years of radio, Terry. Now, that means you must have started doing this when you were like 18, 19 years old? I think it was 12. 12 (laughs) years old. Okay, now the math makes sense, buddy. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing good today. 
I'm doing great. Speaking of the 25 years next week, I believe you might be stopping by for a few minutes next week. Is that right? Absolutely, Terry. We're going to come by and say hi and hang out for a little while. And uh, it'd be nice to to meet some people who've been listening to the radio show for all those 25 years. You know, I've, I've been listening to the show myself probably a good 20 of those years, Terry. So, uh, and you're only, uh, and you're only seven. So. <laughs> I know. It's an outstanding accomplishment. All jokes aside, Terry, you know, I've, I've mentioned for years, I'm one of the biggest talk radio junkies in the world. And to listen to somebody who's been on the air for as long as you have consistently, that's a rarity in, in this industry. I know that. I think maybe the only other guy there at the station that's been doing it as long as you might be Sandy Clough. So uh, congratulations. Uh, Sandy Clough and, and, and Mike yeah, and Mike is pretty close in the morning too. He's he's close, but yeah, it's been a Evans. Been a yes, I, I I've been listening to Evans for years. I when he was evil email boy, Mike Evans, uh, way back when he was there with uh, Irvin Joe back in the day. So, uh, but uh, it, it, your voice has been on the radio for a long time, Terry. So it's outstanding, and uh, we're looking forward to next weekend. Well, I appreciate it, and a lot of people, you know, come by next week and just say hi, folks. We're going to have some booths there, some vendors there, some people from parks and wildlife and things like that and things to do. But the important thing is come by and say hi. Tell us you've enjoyed the show or tell us what you'd like to see different on the show. Anyway, Ronnie, we've been talking early. We've been talking fly fishing just now with Kirk Dieter and uh, Chris Hunt. And prior to that, Austin Parr was on. We kind of talked about some of the metro lakes down south and a little bit of the mountains. But we didn't talk much about the northern front range here as far as Horsetooth and Boyd and some of the rivers. What are you seeing around here? Well, we're, we're kind of settling into those summer patterns that we see consistently every year. Horsetooth has been fishing very, very good this year. Uh, water levels up at Horsetooth, while they are falling and falling relatively fast, uh, Horsetooth is still relatively high as far as the water levels in the grand scheme of things. So fishing up there has been very good. Uh, the smallmouth action has been outstanding. Uh, the walleye action has been a little bit hit and miss. And we've even still been seeing some trout and the occasional wiper showing up up there. Um, for the most part, what we've been doing is covering a lot of water on any given day, Terry, because the fish are definitely moving around the reservoir. Um, as the water temperature goes up, these fish tend to start to pull out of some of those back coves and things like that and work their way towards their main lake areas that they like to be on for the duration of the summer. Uh, you know, we, we tend to start and, and scan those deep main lake areas to start off the day. And if we're not seeing fish, then we'll sort of backtrack way towards the the cove areas and kind of scan and fish as we go uh it tends to be that they're grouped up and if you can find a pile of them uh you can run through them pretty quick terry so uh that's kind of the deal at horse tooth right now how important are your electronics at horse tooth right now it's incredibly important this time of year. One of the big things that we have to do on any given day, Terry, is try to figure out what depth we're seeing the fish at. So once we start running around and scanning some of those main lake stuff, um, it's pretty easy to get an idea of where you're going to see the concentration of fish after you've looked at a few uh, last time out on the lake, for example, we were seeing the majority of the fish in that 12 to 14 foot range. And once we get an idea of what depth we're seeing the fish at, 
then, you know, I can go through my mind and I can think about what areas of the leg have structure at that depth. Start running that stuff as opposed to just fishing endless amounts of banks and things like that. Um, so the electronics can be very, very important because you can pull to a hump and you can scan it and you may not see anything at all. And you may pull to another hump, but it's at the right depth in the right area of the lake, and the fish are just all gathered up on that. And so it just kind of eliminates a lot of the dead water utilizing your electronics this time of year, Terry. And what type of presentations have been most successful? As in water, it's been more of the reaction-style baits that we've been working, so a lot of real deep-diving crankbaits, crankbaits that I can get down to that 12 16 foot range and work across the point, grind across the hump, work a transition, that kind of a thing. Maybe an edge of a boat ramp or something like that as well. Once we establish an area that we're seeing fish in or maybe have caught a few fish, uh, it tends to be that maybe you'll get them to fire real quick. You'll bang off one or two or three real fast on that crankbait. And then the remainder of the fish there may shut down to that presentation. So then we come back with a follow-up presentation, something like a tube jig or a gulp minnow or maybe a jigging spoon, something like that, and toss back into that same area and try to get a few more of those fish to bite. And it's kind of, you know, just that one-two punch. Uh, the other thing that's been working real well, Terry, and it, it's really kind of condition-driven and early morning low-light, kind of thing for us. Uh, the surface bite can be outstanding this time of year, working something like a, a small spook-style bait or a surface popper or a whopper plopper, that kind of a thing. Um, on any given day, if you get that low light or maybe a little bit of overcast, uh, those fish will absolutely come to the surface, and it's a lot of fun when you can get those fish to come up and blast something on the top, Terry. Yeah, I know. Karen and I did a little of that a couple weeks ago. She was throwing a a chopper bait from Berkeley, and she caught most of the fish. I only caught, uh, I caught the biggest one, and that came on a jig and a gulp. Not a gulp, but a power minnow. Uh, but the, the surface bait was definitely the key that day. Let's go to Boyd. I haven't fished Boyd. I haven't been out on Boyd this year. I've gotten some reports. What are you hearing or seeing out there? So we were on Boyd just not too long ago, and I drove by Boyd again yesterday. So the water is dropping pretty fast right now, Terry. Um, you know, they, they, they got to run a water a few weeks back and, and raise the lake probably six, seven, maybe eight feet at the most that came in. It was still, you know, 10 feet or so from completely being full. Uh, I drove by it yesterday just to check on it one more time, and it looked like the water had dropped maybe two to three feet from where it was, and it had just recently dropped. So, And that's pretty standard for this time of year on Boyd. They start drawing a lot of irrigation water. Uh, you know, it, it gets shipped out to Greeley kind of a thing, and so that lake starts to drop. Um, the big deal on Boyd, you know, fishing can be really good, and sometimes people shy away from the low water because the uh, they're used to fishing the trees and the bushes and things like that and throwing at the shoreline. Boyd has a surprising amount of structure that is under the water. So if you pay attention to your seeing on your graph, there's quite a bit of elevation changes. There's some channels that run in and out of that reservoir. Um, understanding those channels, using your electronic the gravelly areas, the hard bottoms can be key a lot of times when the water's low. And then the other thing we key on is we're looking for any of the grass that has grown into the reservoir. We're fishing that air, those areas uh, pretty, pretty, pretty hard this time of year, Terry. We're looking at those grass lines. We're looking at our edges. 
um, trying to find those areas that have the grass. And then the other thing with Boyd is that when the water's low like it is right now, with all the boat traffic that gets out there, Boyd has a tendency to get real muddy and real dirty, especially on the weekends, Terry. So paying attention to the dirty water, trying to find the areas that maybe have a little bit of stained color to them but aren't completely chocolate milk or completely dirty. Uh, what we're looking for, um, spinnerbaits work really effectively when you can get in around the grass, throwing something like a shallow uh, square bill crankbait. If you can work it on that outer edge or any of those gravelly kind of rocky areas can be very good. And then the deeper areas, if you can find the deeper hard bottoms that have the gravel on it and some of the rocks on them, then, then working a deep dive and crankbait through that stuff is also very, very effective, Terry. And it tends to be those deeper diving this time of year on Boyd, if you can find those areas, that tends to be where we catch the bigger fish. I know you're also a big fan as the water drops in these reservoirs, especially if it drops significantly. Is spending time and learning those spots on the spot that you would have trouble finding when the lake is full, it can really benefit your fishing in years to come, can't it? A hundred percent, Terry. Uh, you know, I tell people a lot of time that are new to the state or that are just getting into fishing and they're trying to bodies of water that as opposed to what some people might think I, I would go to the to the bodies of water that have the lower water especially drawn really really low um you know low enough where you can still get your boat out but as low as you can get out there then you can visually see a lot structure a lot of those transitions you can spot the 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 slopes the changes the steeper banks things like that paying attention to that stuff when low will pay the bills when you come back and the water's high. I can't tell you, you know, on a lake like Boyd especially, I filmed, you know, quite a few shows out there with Chad over the years, and several of those shows we were really focusing on these small patches of gravel that I had found when the lake on very, very low and had walked around the lake, literally pulled my boat up to banks and got out and walked and mapped spots and marked spots with my GPS uh, those little patches of gravel, patches of gravel that were no more bigger than, than the boat we were riding in, uh, those were the spots that we were catching the big fish on when we were filming, Terry. It can be key, and it can really be the difference between going out there and struggling in low water conditions and, and running around and knowing where the spots are. So uh, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. Uh, you know, In a lot of states up north, down south, you don't get that fluctuation in water level like we get here with our reservoirs and it's it's a huge advantage when you think about being able to actually see what's under the water all right ronnie we are out of time but if people want more information they should stop by next week at jackson chat with you thank you my friend great information as always all right buddy you have a good one you bet ronnie castiglione we're going to take a quick time out we're going to come back and wrap up this hour of terry wickstrom outdoors but we got lots more to come in the next hour on terry wickstrom outdoors presented by jack's outdoor gear on 104.3 the fan you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan we're going to wrap up the first hour and then we're going to have nate Zelinsky join us with both some uh some shooting information and some fishing updates. But we've, and then we have a, a fly fishing report coming from the folks up at North Park. And we're going to talk to the folks at Colorado Clays. We've got a lot to come. But right now, 
I want to share with you first a little bit about what we're doing next week at uh, the Jacks. It's the Jacks that's in central Loveland, not the one that's where that Kmart used to be as you go out of town. It's the one at 950 East Eisenhower. If you look on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook, there's a big post and it tells you all that we're doing out there. You know, we're going to have giveaways, including a $100 gift certificate to Jacks. We'll probably have other giveaways and swag. We're going to have a lot of our partners from the show are going to be there. Of course, Jacks will have things going on. And we're going to have uh, a lot of the regulars from the show stopping by. Uh, just to say, I'm pretty sure that Chad Lachance is going to stop by. Ronnie's going to stop by. We'll see if... Uh, Brad Peterson might stop by. We're going to have those kind of guys stopping by saying hi. But the important thing is uh, we want you folks to come by and say hi to us. You know, 25 years of Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on radio. We're really proud of that. And we know that we've developed a lot of regular friends out there that are our listeners. And we get feedback from some of you and we get to meet some of you on remotes and at sports shows. But we'd love nothing more than have you come by and talk to Karen and myself and tell us what you like about the show, how long you've been listening, uh, what what you don't like about the show. What would you like to see us do differently? Because we don't intend to go away for a while. We're going to keep going, we hope. So um, we'd like to hear that, too. So stop by. If you want to know more about the times, there's a big post on Facebook on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. But I'll broadcast live from 9 to 11. But then from 11 to 1, I'm going to stay there and just chat with people, just meet and greet. We just want you to come by so much. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're very proud of it. And uh, there are probably a lot of things that will be going on. We don't even have the details yet. But but please, please stop by. Now, this weekend, this weekend it's going to be hot. It's going to be 100 degrees here in Fort Collins. You don't have to quit going in the outdoors. In fact, a lot of people enjoy the outdoors more when it's warm. And you can get up in the mountains and get away from it and things like that. But a couple things. First of all, with the heat as hot as it is, know your limitations. Stay hydrated. Don't overexert yourself. Heat, you know, the two major things that hit people other than lightning in the outdoors are heat exhaustion or hypothermia. And believe it or not, in Colorado, you can almost get both on the same day. You'll don't dress too lightly as you're headed up into the mountains to recreate because one of these storms comes through and the temperature can drop into the 50s and 60s in a hurry and you get wet. And most hypothermia happens when people are in that 60 degree range. So be very prepared for what you're doing. Know before you go what the challenges of the activity you're going to do are. And be prepared. If it's going to be down here in the sun, make sure you have sunscreen, you stay hydrated, stay in the shade as much as you can. It's going to be in the mountains. Bring a layer, be ready, and make sure you try to do it in the mornings up in the mountains because if those evening storms come through and lightning can be a real danger. So we're going to, we used to do more uh, survival and um, outdoor comfort shows. We'll do more of that coming up, I think. In the next, uh, maybe in the next few weeks and months as we get into hunting season, because I think it's really important. We'll, we'll start covering some of that. But follow us on Facebook. And by the way, a lot of the fishing we've talked about on the show today, you can find on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Now, these are legacy shows we've done a while ago, but they're still very much apply. And we talked about Joe Wright earlier. We talked about Zimmerman Lake. There are shows on those on the channel. Talk about Fishing Boyd. Talk about Fishing Cherry Creek, Chatfield, 
Glendo. There are shows on how to fish those on Terry, the best of fishing with Terry Wickstrom. In addition, of course, we have a lot of travel destinations there where we went from the Arctic Circle to the equator. So check it out. But the main thing, follow us on YouTube and please come and say hi to us next Saturday. We really want, even if it's just a quick, you're driving by, pull in. Hey, we love the show. Or could you cover more of this on the show? We've been listening. We'd love that. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, Nate Zelinsky will join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.